Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Sister Helen Prejean, one of the nation's foremost death penalty opponents, spoke in an event sponsored by the Coalition of Arizonans to abolish the death penalty at the Rialto Theater. Sister Helen is best known for her Pulitzer Prize-nominated book, Dead Man Walking, an eyewitness account of the death penalty in the United States, which recounts her prison ministry that led to her introduction to capital punishment through her friendship with death row inmate Patrick Saunier. The book became a hit movie starring Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn. Sister Helen Prejean is also the author of The Death of Innocence, an eyewitness account of wrongful executions. The Coalition of Arizonans to Abolish the Death Penalty is a group of organizations and individuals pledged to end the death penalty in Arizona. The coalition is comprised of people who oppose the death penalty for spiritual, ethical, and practical reasons and who may choose variously to work for its abolition through prayer, self and public education, dialogues, constitutional recourse, and public action. Today on 30 Minutes, part one of Sister Helen Prejean's talk. Hi, y'all. Y'all speak Southern. Who knows what rue is? I can't see your hands. You spell rue, R-O-U-X. You still know what it is? It's Southern gravy. It's always dark brown. Yankee gravy's always white. But we Southern. And I come from the South. And I was born in Baton Rouge, lived in New Orleans most of my life. Started out, I promise you, as an ordinary, bona fide nun, doing what good nuns do, teaching little parochial school kids in little blue pleated skirts and little white blouses and little little blue bows, the boys in khaki pants and white shirts, 7th and 8th grade, and I made my way, of course, to death row. <laughs> I want to talk about building a fire. I want to talk about catching on fire. I want to talk about building a movement that's about a just society that doesn't hold things in place with coercion and incarceration and even killing our citizens. I want to talk about a fire that's got to start within us. Now, this is religious language in Pentecost, the way it's written when the fire came upon the, the, the apostles of Jesus after he left, and the fire began to burn in their hearts, and they weren't scared anymore, and they get out, and they're bold. And, one, and this fire was in Martin Luther King. This fire, when he read that story in Exodus about the bush burning, and it was one of the first revelations in the biblical tradition of the heart of God. The revelation of Moses, who was on the lamb because he had murdered an Egyptian. And he's over there in Midian. And he's tending the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. He had a two-gar garage. He had a wife. He had kids. And things were going well. And where he made his big mistake, he sees a bush. 
Okay. And he sees it burning. Okay. And he sees that it keeps burning and it doesn't go out. And he gets closer to the bush and he hears the voice. It says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And then that first revelation that is in the scripture of the heart of God is, I have heard the cry of my people. My own story is about learning to hear the cry. I grew up in privilege, white privilege, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, segregation of black people all around me, never questioned it. Only black people I knew were our servants. My daddy was a successful lawyer. We had a big house. Ellen worked in the house. Jesse worked in the yard. I never knew their last names. I never questioned that black people in Sacred Heart Church had to sit over to the right and that black kids couldn't make their first Holy Communion with the white kids. That's what culture does. Culture blinds us. Culture, we like little goldfish swimming around a bowl saying, this is what everybody does. This is the way we think about things here. That's the way we do things here. In Arizona, we tough on crime, man. We're going to kill the people who kill. We have a Supreme Court of the United States, tough on crime. We're going to have the death penalty. Get this. This criteria they sent out in the Gregg decision, when they put the death penalty back, Greg v. Georgia, we're not going to have the death penalty for ordinary murders. Not your garden variety, ordinary murders, of course not. We're only going to have the death penalty for worst of the worst. Now you go start figuring out who's the worst of the worst. Your mama gets killed, that's the worst of the worst. Your brother gets killed. Anytime a human being is lost, a universe is lost. What in the Sam Hill does worst of the worst mean? And we've been at it, folks, almost 30 years doing it, killing what we call the worst of the worst. We don't know what we're doing. They just did a study in Connecticut from like 1970-something till the present. And because Connecticut's a small state, the data was manageable. They could trace every murder. They could see who got the death penalty and who didn't. So let's see who's worst of the worst. And out of all those 4,400 cases, they saw that the thing was messed up at square one with the discretionary power of the district attorney who's going to decide who we're going to go after for murder one. Who are we going to plea down or plea bargain it to or bring it down to manslaughter? And it's all in a person's hands who runs for political office. And so you have a policeman killed in the town or you hear or you have the chief banker who funded the whole uh, Republican Party or whatever. And he, he died. Well, we going after murder one for him because he's a citizen with status. And I mean, we got it now. We got the data over 30 years of doing this. Almost every person, eight out of every 10 you see on death row, eight out of every 10 of them are there because they kill white people. So, you know, we, we got a pattern now to show. You know what worse the worst means? First of all, you killed a Caucasian, you killed a white person. Most of the time you did it in a certain geographic area. The 10 southern states that practice slavery do 80% of the executions. You're trying to catch up. You're never going to catch up with his law and order, tough on crime, kill the criminals thing. And we found out that they're all poor who are chosen for death. Nobody goes there with resources and riches where you can hire an attorney. And believe me, 
the DA is going to think 40 times before he takes anybody on that's got a real good attorney that's going to file a 100 pretrial motions on him, is going to fight him every step of the way to block him, and they might lose anyway. They're going to, they're going to plea bargain that case, and they're going to go after somebody where they're going to be, there's outrage over the crime, the victim has status, and they're pretty much assured of victory. We should never have taken on ourselves that we would have either the wisdom or whatever it takes to be the arbiters of life and death with our fellow citizens. But I want to talk about the fire that began to burn in me as I began to awaken. It's all about awakening. Consciousness and conscience. I bet if they could trace those little synapses in our brain with some of that good testing they got, you'd just see how close it is. Because when our consciousness, when we awaken to something, and conscience that says inside us, that's wrong. And then that is what calls us then to be people of action. This is why we gather in on a Sunday afternoon in this little Rialto theater. Me coming to you from New Orleans, you coming from God knows where, and here we are. The fire already burns because the consciousness is already there in us. What happened with me was this awakening. This dead man walking tells the first story of my going to death row, meeting somebody on death row, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that seminal story because that's where the fire really began. My second book, Death of Innocence, talks about continuing to accompany people on death row, and I begin to find out they're innocent. Now, you got to know what a surprise that was to me because I thought we got the best court system in the world. It would be a fluke if there was ever an innocent person that might end up on death row. Nothing's perfect. A fluke, I thought. And here, Death of Innocence talks about accompanying two people to execution. Dobie Gillis-Williams, African-American man in Louisiana, IQ 65, railroaded in Manny, Louisiana in this death trial where supposedly he killed a white woman in a bathroom and the only witness was the husband who was there and he was never checked out. And the second person, Joseph Odell in Virginia, just asking to have a full hearing on all the evidence because it didn't happen at his trial and it didn't happen in the state appeals and it never happened for him. And if he could have just gotten the DNA testing on the rape kit, it could have shown that he did not murder this person, which means the death penalty would not have been a possibility for him and it would have saved his life in Virginia, never let him get the DNA test done, even though Barry Sheck was willing to do the test free, never let him get the DNA test done and they executed him and then they destroyed the DNA evidence how could it happen the journey began first of all awakening that the gospel of Jesus is not this nice little domesticated Jesus this little culturized Jesus it's radical Jesus because of who he hung with who he was with the despised ones, the thrown away ones, the lepers of the society, the ones the religious establishment said they can't be here. They don't keep the purity laws. They don't come in regularly, offer their sacrifices in the temple. The Romans, who have their 
their feet on the necks of the people in Palestine to keep them captive. And Herod, the Jewish supposed king leader, who, of course, is co-opted with the Romans and does everything to please the Romans. And here are the people struggling under there with one taxation after another coming on them. And Jesus was in there with those people. Jesus was always in there with the people who were struggling and the people that people despised. Even children weren't considered persons in first century Palestine. And here Jesus holds up a child, says, whoever receives a child receives me. Always to be with those considered the least. The ones we point to and say, you're not human the way we are. Knowing people as a handicap instead of a person. Death row being the ultimate. So terrible, so inhuman, so beyond the pale. We got to kill you to have a safe society. And all that in between, the struggle of women to be held and to be able to be in the fullness of our powers and agency to be participants in this society. And poor people, poor people are expanding, 49 million. How can this be? While the rich people getting richer and the poor getting poorer. This is not a neutral fact that happens. It has a cause. We got to understand the cause. We've been made with intelligence and the definition of intelligence. It's not an ability to know one million facts like a little computer can know. The definition of intelligence is the ability to see relationships between things. We got to figure it out. And the fire begins to burn in us when we begin to come across and we begin to see. And what happened with me is first I figured out Jesus was on the side of the poor and I'd lived in the suburbs all my life. And I never had any desire to go into the inner city. I knew what was going on in the inner city. Those were the people on the 10 o'clock news. I ain't stupid. The ones with the handcuffs, all people of color, drugs, violence. But I woke up. You're listening to remarks made by Sister Helen Brejean, one of the nation's foremost advocates to abolish the death penalty, speaking in an event sponsored by the Coalition of Arizonans to Abolish the Death Penalty at the Rialto Theater on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. And you know the waking up is everything. It had to do with coming to understand who Jesus was in my life. And I mean, I'm a nun. I was praying. I was doing retreats. I was studying the scriptures. I was teaching the scriptures. I was teaching theology. And that waking up changed the spiritual trajectory of my life. It's the first part of Dead Man Walking. It's because I heard a talk, a talk where now the soil was tilled and I was ready and the little seed dropped in and the fire started. There's... In Australia, they have something called fire farming. There are some seeds that never burst their case except when they're set on fire. And Aboriginal people would have a way when they wanted to hunt. They'd go to a section, set it on fire. It would burst those seeds open and green would begin to grow. Then the animals would come to the green and then the Aboriginal people would come and hunt the animals. There's a casing in all of us waiting to be born, and sometimes it's fire that opens it. 
Now, that can be physical. I mean, it can be really a trauma in our lives. It can be where we're brought up against something. But it can also be sitting in a group like this in a darkened theater and hearing words that set our hearts on fire as well. So when I woke up to Jesus, I moved in to the St. Thomas Housing Projects in New Orleans and began to live among poor and struggling African-American people and for the first time knew them as my peers and my teachers. One of the things I discovered was when I saw what people were up against, kids in the public schools were juniors in high school and couldn't read a third grade reader. 14-year-old girls having babies, coming into the adult learning center with her little baby like, like a doll, saying, now I have something of my very own. And you know the grandmother's going to raise that child. Drive-by shootings, children being killed. Sister Lillian at Hope House said, we got to start planting trees or something. All the children being killed here. The young men, Geraldine Johnson saying, Sister, our young men live, leave here either in a police car or a hearse. Every family I knew had people in prison. All my classmates, everybody talked about what college you were going to. Nobody talked about prison. Who's in prison? I never knew real people that had people in prison. And I moved into the St. Thomas Housing Projects, and now every family I know. And I, it made me get in touch. It's not that I was that virtuous. Here I am. I'm a Catholic nun. If you'd like to kiss my cross or just maybe just genuflect, because I'm holy, I'm consecrated to God. And I used to think, you know, well, I'm so special. And then I realized seeing what people were up against, seeing the courage of the mothers, every time there was a gunshot coming out saying, where's my child? I go, Helen Prejean, you have been so cushioned. You have been so protected. And it's not that you're virtuous. It's just that you've been cushioned. You've never been tested. You've never been thrown into the, to the fire like this before. And it, and it helped me to be humble. It helped me to know who I really was. Because take away all those cushions and protections, and who would I really be? And so I'm learning. And I'm also ready for the lives of the saints whose lives I'd never read before. Because now I'm learning to be a person of justice. And that when you become aware of something's wrong, no matter how simple, you got to start standing up and you got to start acting. And noticing about myself that no matter how simple the action is for justice, even if you're joining the first march, walking down the street, standing up, writing a letter to the editor, no matter how simple the act is, the minute we begin to act, the energy in life flows through us. It's when we're all in there, overpowered, paralyzed, all oh, those things so complex, everything, I'm, I, if I'm one little person, and we sit there overpowered and paralyzed. But the minute we begin to act, it means we connect into community. Power flows through us. And we feel the movement. And we have an enhanced sense of being alive. We are waiting to be alive. Especially those of us who have been given a lot. We're longing to live to the fullness of our powers. And to engage ourselves in something much bigger than ourselves and our own little ego. And who hurt our feelings last week or whatever it is. And while I was there at St. Thomas in that tilling soil and I had begun to read the lives of Martin Luther King and what woke him up, I began to read the life of Gandhi, what woke him up. I began to read 
about women's struggle for the vote and women's struggle to be full human beings in this society and every society. And I began to come alive inside. And it began to develop in me gifts I didn't know I had. I didn't know I could write. I used to write pretty little religious poems in college, mainly about me and Jesus. And they had like a lot of shining in them, a lot of brightness in Jesus. And, but I wasn't grounded in the suffering people all around me. And so something alive. And because when I'm going out into the suburbs and I'm talking to friends and people I knew in the suburbs, they all had the same cliches they threw at the people who lived in the inner city. Why don't those people get jobs? Those people like to be on welfare. See, when they have those babies, they get more of a paycheck. That welfare is keeping them dependent. Don't think you don't hear that surfacing in all the Tea Party talk today about the social fabric of this society. Unlimited money for defense, but when it comes to the social fabric, when it comes to the welfare of all the people, ooh, government shouldn't be doing that for people. That's going to make them dependent. Well, Lord knows, and we've got the most dependent military people in the world that we've been keeping going for how long? And the reason we need community is only when we come together in community like this and start talking about stuff, figuring stuff out, do we get it. While I was at St. Thomas, one day a friend coming out of the prison coalition office met me on St. Andrew Street. I was just coming out of the adult learning center. And he said, hey, Sister Helen, you want to be a pen pal, somebody on death row? I said, yeah, sure, I could do that. I was an English major. I could write some nice letters, maybe even a poem. <laughs> I never dreamed they were going to kill this person. This is the first story in Dead Man Walking. It was 1982. We hadn't executed anybody in Louisiana over 20 years. I don't know what your experience of God is. I'm going to just flat out say God's sneaky. Because I wrote that letter to that man on death row, Patrick Sonia, the very first one I ever wrote to. And daggone if he didn't write back. And when he wrote back, there was this encounter between two human beings. See, we don't meet the poor. We don't meet people in prison. Oh, these are people that do crimes. They're not human like we got to protect ourselves. And then, of course, we have the politicians and we have the media stoking our fear, stoking our fear. I learned this when I wrote Dead Man Walking, and that book came out in 93. Chances of being murdered in the United States and chances of drowning are the same. You think you're going to be murdered every time you step around a corner. Now, of course, we made aware, like with, with Gabrielle Giffords and violence that happens with people who have guns. But the chances of our actually being murdered are so slim. But you wouldn't know that when you look at the evening news. No matter what goes on in Tucson, they're going to ferret out like a heat-seeking radar. Every act of violence, every mugging, every rape, every robbery that happened in this city. We have an exaggerated sense that we're under attack and we're afraid. So that's what makes us go for really fierce ways of controlling these dangerous people, the criminal element among us, and translate that very quickly into people of color and people who are poor. And it's a separation that is killing us because we don't meet each other, and we got to find ways to start doing that. I wrote the man, he wrote back, two and a half years later, 
I am with him in that execution chamber. When the state of Louisiana kills Patrick Saunier, straps him in a chair, and kills him with 1,900 volts of electricity. And I'm there. And here's the fire. The fire was in him. He was killed by fire. And it's the way I'm beginning my third book, which talks about my spiritual journey that led me to death row. The prelude of the book is they kill a man with fire one night. They strapped him in an oaken chair and pumped electricity in his body. No religious leaders protested the killing that night. His killing was a legal act because he had killed, but I was there. I saw with my own eyes as he was killed, and a fire began to burn in my heart, a fire that burns in me still. And I came out of that execution chamber that night. In the middle of the night, it was done in the dark, and I threw up. I had never watched a human being in a protocol of death, cold and calculated, being taken from a cell where he was alive, walked across a room, strapped into a chair, and killed. And we call it legal. And the Supreme Court said it was all right. And most churches that I knew, nobody was raising their voice against the death penalty as if it had nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus. But I woke up. And that night, standing outside that execution chamber, having accompanied Patrick for two and a half years, gotten to know him as a human being, finding out about his crime, and I'm going to take you through it, because one of the things, one part of the journey of the navigating our way through this issue is that we have to deal face on, straight up, about the horribleness of the crime and the outrage we feel over the death of innocent people. But outside the execution chamber, when I had been there, I had seen, been with the victim's family, been with him, I remember thinking clear, and it, it's the reason I stand before you today, the people are never going to see this. You're never going to be brought close to it. I was a witness. I've been there. I got to tell the story. And that's how my whole mission happened. When I'm talking with people of the Christian faith, we, you know, we wear around our necks a symbol of execution. This isn't just a pretty little thing to have little earrings and little jewelry. Or you see the motorcycle people, you know, they got their little crosses too. You know, it's like it's in to, to wear a cross. It was a... It was the way they executed. The young Jesus going to Jerusalem might see a thousand people fixed on those poles, left there to starve, to die of thirst till they finally got so weak. When you die by crucifixion, you die by asphyxiation. That finally can't lift up. You don't have the strength to lift up on your legs to be able to take in a breath of air, and you sink under your own weight. After three days, four days, sometimes to hasten death, they would nail people to the wood after lacerating them so they would bleed, so they're losing. And, and people would walk up and down those roads. That's what the Romans did. Don't mess with Rome. It's the way they would quell anything that looked like the least kind of disturbance quickly. And I was brought there, and I got it. 
You've been listening to Sister Helen Bridgeton, one of the nation's foremost advocates to abolish the death penalty in an event sponsored by the Coalition of Arizonans to Abolish the Death Penalty at the Rialto Theater. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Sister Helen is best known for her Pulitzer Prize-nominated book, Dead Man Walking, an eyewitness account of the death penalty in the United States, which recounts her prison ministry that led to her introduction to capital punishment through her friendship with death row inmate Patrick Saunier. The book became a hit movie starring Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn. Sister Helen also is the author of The Death of Innocence, an eyewitness account of wrongful executions. The Coalition of Arizonans to Abolish the Death Penalty is a group of organizations and individuals pledged to end the death penalty in Arizona. More information is available at azabolitionist.org. This has been Part 1 on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson.